Welcome back to the Wrong Opinion Useless NBA Trivia and Garbage Rankings. As always, make sure you check out the trailer if this is your first time. Today we're talking about the Sacramento Kings. Now this is the oldest team that we've talked about so far, which is usually teams that have been around this long, have at least a few sustained runs of greatness. The Kings really don't. Uh, they started in 1948 in the BAA as the Rochester Royals. They stayed in Rochester until 1957, but in their third season in 1951, they won the NBA Finals. And I kind of broke my rule. I said no team that won the Finals can be below a team that hasn't. But we're really considering a 1951 championship before the shot clock era, like a true title. They averaged 84.6 points per game. Their pace was 92.3. That was actually 11. There's only 11 teams in the NBA that season. Their best players, Bobby Wanzer, Arnie Risen, Arnie Johnson. If, you have, if your franchise's best team has two players named Arnie, I can't rank you that high. Uh, they also had Bob Davies. Their highest point score was at 16.3. Best on the team in field goal percentage was 45.9. And that was actually like absurdly high because number two was 42%. So while they technically did win a title, that's not really gonna help them in all time rankings. It's hard to count anything before the shot clock era, before 1954. So we're not quite ignoring it because it does boost them over like the Clippers, but we're a little bit ignoring it. Uh, 1958, they moved to Cincinnati. And by 1960, they got their godsend, Oscar Robertson. I'm gonna talk about him later, of course, but he's one of the top three point guards of all time. So that worked out, but they never ended up even winning their division. They made the playoffs for six straight years from 62 to 67. Never made the finals, never sniffed the finals. It's kind of a shame because they were playing in the East that whole time when really they could have been a Western Conference team. So they're going up the Celtics every single year. It's just a shame that we never got a, a Cincinnati Boston finals because that would have been plausible just based on where city, where NBA cities were located East to West. In the East, nobody was gonna beat the Celtics. They're the dominant team of the era, in case you haven't heard. Now, Oscar left for greener pastures in Milwaukee after 10 years. And in that same year, they ended up drafting their next Hall of Fame point guard, Tiny Archibald, Nate Archibald. He had an incredible season in 1970, leading the league in assists per game and points per game. We're gonna get into why that's kind of crazy in the Nate Archibald section, but that season, they didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs the next year. Barely made it in 1975. Tiny ended up going to the Nets after the 1976 season, after the merger. But the Kings ended up just okay. They'd been in Kansas City at this point, uh, splitting time between Kansas City and Omaha for three years from 72 to 75. Then moving to Kansas City full-time in 76. In those late 90s, early 80s Kings team, they're really fun for like a deep dive. They got guys like Otis Birdsong, Scott Wedman, Mike Woodson. Made the playoffs four times from 79 to 84. The 1981 Kansas City Kings, they won 40 games. We went 40 and 42, and they lost in the Western Conference Finals. That means we could have had a 40-win team in the finals if they got past the Houston Rockets. But wait, there's more. The 1981 Rockets went 40 and 42 also. So the two teams in the Western Conference Finals were both 40 and 42. There was a below 500 team in the NBA Finals in 1981. They got dusted by the Celtics. Made the playoffs a couple more times. They moved to Sacramento in 86. Uh, Reggie Theus years. 
And then Mitch Richmond broke up run TMC uh, from the Warriors in 91, came to Sacramento, played there seven years, made an all-star team six times. Guess how many playoffs he made? One playoffs. Mitch Richmond is a Hall of Famer somehow. Couldn't take his team to the playoffs more than one time. And that one playoff appearance for Mitch was in 1996. Talked about this before, late 90s, weak league. They won 39 games, only played four playoff games. But Mitch was important because he ended up being the centerpiece of the trade that brought along Chris Webber. And with C-Webb, along with guys like Peja Stojakovic, Mike Bibby eventually, Brad Miller, Vladi Divac, they made the playoffs every year from 99 until 2006. They peaked 61 wins in 2002. But then after 2006, it all fell apart. Those players were all gone. They were banking on guys like Kevin Barton, all stats, no nothing. Reggie Theus was coaching, and they didn't make the playoffs from 2006 through 2022. That's 16 straight years without a playoff appearance. That is currently the longest streak in any big four professional sports. Now that's all changing. They have the number one offense in the league. Right now they've won about 60% of the games, sitting kind of bouncing second and third in the Western Conference standings, but that streak is going to end, and that's exciting. There's a lot of excitement coming from these young Kings teams, but historically they made the playoffs 29 times in 75 years. Not awesome. They've really had like three and a half different spurts. The early Royals years that were kind of throwing away. Oscar Robertson years where they couldn't make a finals. And then those C-Web years couldn't make a finals. Now also, fun fact, they've been around 75 years. They have the most losses in NBA history. Now obviously this is going up every few days, but currently it's at about 3,200 losses. 45% winning percentage. So if you're counting here, among the seven teams that haven't made an NBA Finals in the shot clock era, I have them as the second best. We'll get to the first best a little bit later, but that might be changing soon. Now let's get to the rankings. Our first team point guard, Mr. Triple Double, Oscar Robertson. For the first five years of his career, uh, cumulatively, he averaged a triple double. Now he only did it for one full season in the second season. Uh, with a 31, 11, and 13. Led the league in assists seven times. Led the league in points one time. He led the league in both points and assists per game in 1968. Now currently there's only been seven guys who have led the league in both points and assists. And there's only been two guys that have done it in the same season. Oscar Robertson was the first to do it in the same season. There's one more guy we'll see on the second team. A lot of his stats are inflated because of the style of play at the time. A lot of shots, a lot of low percentages, a lot of rebounds available. But still, he was Mr. Triple-Double until the triple-double boom started in 2017. If you're looking at all-time rankings for the Kings, he is first in triple-doubles with 176. Chris Webber is second with 14. That was the obvious one, though. First team shooting guard. I definitely dogged him early on, but this is definitely Mitch Richmond. Once again, he was on the team for seven years. All-star in six. He averaged 23 points a game in his seven years with the Kings. Three-point bomber. His highest was 2.8 per game. 2.83s per game in the 90s. That's tough. Now, I'm sick of saying this, but this was a weak league in the late 90s. But he was second team three times and third team twice. Still impressive. 1995 All-Star MVP as well. He's third on the team in points. Now, he was just a score first, score only. That was about it. He could shoot, he could score, and that's a lot better than anything else I'm seeing from shooting guards. First team small forward, 
going back to the older days with Jack Twyman. He played six years with Oscar at the end of his career. By him, is 11 years in the NBA. Made six all-star teams. Led the league in field goal percentage in 58. This is hilarious. 45.2% led the NBA. Was also dropping 31 a game in 1960. All those 30 points a game seem a lot less impressive when you see uh, Wilt stats. But still, 30 game, the NBA. Not easy. Twice was All-NBA. Now for the Kings, second all-time in points, second all-time in games, third in minutes played. Jack Twyman, one of the most underrated players in NBA history. I feel like that's fair to say. First team power forward. This is our first tough one. First one I had to think about. Now to some this might be easy, but there's a guy back in the day who, I mean, he balled. He was also a stat batter. And Chris Webber, he was there for seven years, missed a lot of games. But it's hard to say anybody other than Chris Webber. He came in there in 99, played three full seasons, missed a lot of 02, and then by 04, only played 23 games in 04. In 2005, they got sick of it, traded him to Philadelphia. But he was first team All-NBA in 2001 in a league that also had Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. So that's impressive. 27 points a game, 11 rebounds, four assists. Uh, led the league in rebounds his first year with the Kings in 1999. 13 a game, 13 rebounds a game. And in every one of his full six years that he played there, they made the playoffs. 2002, they really could have made the finals, but the big problem was he was a choker. He took the torch from Carl Malone and Patrick Ewing and Elvin Hayes and Wilt Chamberlain, big men that do the fadeaway jump shot at the end of games. That's just not what you want. You're a big dude, and the game's on the line, get to the paint, get a bucket, force a bucket. Now the 0-2 playoffs famously maybe a little bit rigged. They still lost the last two at home. So I blame that on Chris Webber. But not a lot of All-NBA players with the Kings. He was All-NBA five times, one time first team. That's something. First team center. This might be controversial for people who are stats first. I think this is clearly Sam Lacey. He was there 12 seasons. He was there in Cincinnati, Casey and Omaha, and then Kansas City. He only made one all-star team while putting up 11 and 14, but he made the playoffs four times, including in that 81 season where they went to the conference finals. But he was a defensive anchor, a guy who knew his role, and ultimately the longevity helped. He has the Kings record for games, total rebounds, and blocks. And he's fifth in points, despite only averaging 11 points a game throughout his career with them. So we're going Sam Lacey. The first team then, Oscar Robertson, Mitch Richmond, Jack Twyman, uh, Chris Weber, and Sam Lacey. Second team point guard, Nate Archibald. Now, Tiny was the second guy in NBA history to lead the league in points and assists per game during the same season. He's also averaging 46 minutes a game. That's not something you see anymore. Now, they missed the playoffs that year. He only made the playoffs one time with them his entire career in Kansas City. They only played six games in those playoffs. And funnily enough, he made the finals in 81 with the Boston Celtics, who almost played the 41 Kings. Now, all-time stats, he's third in assists, fourth in points. He has a Kings record for most points per game in a single season, most minutes per game in a single season, and he has the fourth highest single assist per game. Number one on that list, Rajon Rondo, 11.7 in 2016. Wasn't there very long, but made his impact. Tiny Archibald, second best point guard in Kings history. Might even be the second best player in Kings history. Second team shooting guard. This one's my guy, Reggie Theus. Now he played a lot of his career as a point guard, way more of it though as a shooting guard. What he really was, was kind of a James Harden type where he is a floor general, plays at shooting guard. In 1986, 
playing 82 games by the way pretty much most of his career didn't miss any games 1986 18 points a game 9.8 assists per game on 48 percent shooting they made the playoffs that year got swept in the first round he only made the playoffs twice in his career with the kings played 17 total playoff games in his career not awesome he's fourth all-time in kings assists with 2809 one of those really good but like forgotten nba players because he wasn't quite great enough to be iconic kind of like in that trey young area or julius randall where 40 years from now there's not gonna be a lot of conversations about julius randall but guys who really like nba history are gonna look at his career and be like eh, he was pretty good he was pretty good second team small forward peja stoyakovich after two years in Greece, being drafted in that insane 96 draft, two years in Greece, he spent eight years in Sacramento. He definitely peaked in 2004. He led the league in free throw percentage. It's actually sixth all time in career free throw percentage, just below 90%. But in 04, he put up 24 points a game, six rebounds, couple assists, 48% shooting, made three threes a game, three three-pointers a game on 43% shooting in 2004 and somehow he ended up number four in mvp voting absolutely bonkers season seventh all-time in points for the kings second team power forward had a good shot at first team going jerry lucas i think he was the original stat patter wilt chamberlain excluded now the only guys to average 20 rebounds per game in a season of course bill russell and wilt chamberlain number one and two in all-time rebounds and you also got Bob Pettit in 61, barely passed 20 rebounds a game. Nate Thurmond twice in the late 60s. And also Jerry Lucas two times in 65 and 66. 20 points, 20 rebounds. Nice spot shooter. Played seven years with the Kings. They got traded to the Warriors. Seven-time All-Star, six times with the Kings. It's also famous for chasing down like last-second heaves and other easy rebounds pad his stats but whatever he has the top five spots in single season rebounds per game for the kings he's also second in total rebounds and eighth in points hall of famer jerry lucas next up second team one of the most hated nba players of all time demarcus cousins now very casual fans see the stats and say this guy was probably one of the best centers of the 2010s and the stats say he might be the best 2015 to 2017, he averaged 26 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, a block and a half, steal and a half on 45% shooting. What the stats don't tell you though is that he was a whiner. Anytime he didn't get a pass, anytime there was a bad call, anytime he got taken out of a game, he would just pout and he was just unavailable for the next eight minutes. There's a reason that he didn't make the playoffs until he joined the 2019 Golden State Warriors post ACL injury. Now it did look really good with him and AD in 2018 with the Pelicans. We're not here to talk about the Pelicans though. And we're also not here to talk about lost potential. DeMarcus Cousins does rank in top 10 of most important stats. He's also number one by a wide margin with 1,624 turnovers. DeMarcus Cousins, big stats, no playoffs, doesn't guarantee wins. So that's our second team, Tiny Archibald, Reggie, Theus, Pejasterakovich. Jerry Lucas and Demarcus Cousins. Onto the third team. For the point guard, I thought about this one a lot. We got one guy who won a lot of games, another guy who put up a lot of stats. I usually choose winners over stat patterns, but this year it looks like De'Aaron Fox is officially shifted into the winners category. I might regret that, I might change later. But in his six years with Sacramento, he's about to make his first playoffs. Last year he was garbage in crunch time, throwing the ball away, making ugly, taking ugly shots. Now he's the number one crunch time scorer in the NBA, putting up 25.5 points, highest in his career. 
He's averaged 20 on his career, six assists. Not a great three-point shooter at about at about 32% for his career. But De'Aaron Fox and the 2023 Kings are starting something special. So we're putting him on third team right now. Might end up regretting that. Third team shooting guard, Otis Birdsong. Now he was only with the Kings for four years, but most, most of his time later with the, uh, the Nets. But he was part of the 81 season, that conference final season. He's averaging 24.6 points per game on 54% shooting. He ended up actually getting hurt in those 81 playoffs. He took the Kings, a team that has not made a lot of playoffs, took him to three playoff berths. This might be more of like a aesthetic pick than anything else, but Otis Birdsong was really good for a short period of time. And I think he is the poster child of, this guy was really good, probably talked about a lot. 40 years later, everybody forgets until you get in a basketball reference deep dive. Third team small forward, I think he's known better as the off the bench guy for the, for the late Celtics teams. But Scott Wedman was a baller with the Kings. He was there seven seasons. Both he and Birdsong played their final Kings season in that 81 Western Conference Finals run. And in those 15 games playoffs, he was playing 43.8 minutes per game, averaging 20 points, six rebounds, four assists. Made two All-Stars with the Kings. He's 10th in all-time Kings points, along with being seventh in games. So Scott Wedman, you are third team All-Kings small forward. 13 power forward, Maury Stokes. He had an absolutely devastating story that honestly rivaled Brian's song, he and Jack Twyman. He ended up having a traumatic brain injury, taking a bad hit, going undiagnosed, and then flying in an airplane, the last thing he wanted with brain injury. And by 25, he was done with his playing career. Had a really good like Brian song story with Jack Twyman. He was a, back, a black player. Twyman was a white guy in the 50s. I don't have to tell you what that means. For those three years there, he averaged just 16 points, 17 rebounds, led the league in rebounds as a rookie with 16.3 horrific field goal percentages, but it was the 50s. He ended up making the Hall of Fame. He was all NBA, all star, all three of his seasons, as well as a rookie of the year, and could have had a really special career if it didn't get ruined by a fluke injury. And then our third team center, Vladi Divac. I put him in the running for one of the weirdest careers of all time. After playing with the late Magic Johnson Lakers, and then the late 90s Hornets, stumbled upon Sacramento at 30 years old in 1999. First year C-Web came. So just like C-Web made the playoffs for the next six straight years, averaging 11 points, eight rebounds. C-Web stealing some of the, those rebounds. And about four assists a game, one of the early great passing big men. Now he was a bruiser, defensive anchor, often the focal point of the offense, and he's a Hall of Famer. Now a lot of his Hall of Fame candidacy comes from being an international player, but still great Kings player. Third best center in Kings history? I think that's fair. All Kings third team, De'Aaron Fox, Otis Birdsong, Scott Wedman, Maury Stokes, and Vladi Divac. The hardest cuts. Uh, Mike Bibby, I almost had from De'Aaron Fox. A little more playoff success, a little more tantamount to winning for most of his career. Uh, but De'Aaron Fox, I think, has progressed as a player where you can't say that Mike Bibby is better at this point. It's also the toughest position for the Kings. Uh, guys like Bob Davies, Wayne Embry, Arnie, Arnie Risen, Bobby Wanzer, Adrian Smith, uh, they're just not good enough. It might be a little era biased where it's just easy to excel in a league where nobody jumps, there's no shot clock, and there are 11 teams. But thank you guys for listening. If you hate my wrong opinions, hit me up at jclark underscore three. We'll be back next week talking about the last of the seven teams I have in the category haven't even made a finals in the shot clock era. Peace out.